Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim. We're wrapping up our series called Where in the Church is the Gospel? Today we look at three elements called means of grace, and that is preaching, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Are they present in the church and are they gospel-centered? John Fonville explains that when they are, spiritually, it's much like they're living water stations for believers running the race of life. Let's listen now to this message called, Are the Means of Grace Central in the Church? Here's part two. The means of grace are God's spiritual rest that our souls need in the midst of a world that makes us weary during the week. But if a church neglects these means and fails to feed the church God's spiritual water aid stations regularly, week after week, believers are going to be like marathon runners who have hit the wall. Let me describe to you what it's like to hit the wall. Listen to this New York City Marathon runner who was running the New York City Marathon, and he hit the wall. He says, quote, somewhere in the Bronx, I started to feel like I couldn't keep up the pace. It was awful. I couldn't make my legs run any faster. And when I tried, it was very painful, end quote. Spiritually speaking, This is the experience of believers who are fed a continual diet of spiritual disciplines as a main aid for their spiritual growth. Consequently, believers hit the wall spiritually, and like this marathon runner, they feel like they simply cannot keep up the pace. Their race of faith feels awful, and it is painful. They feel like their spiritual legs can't run any faster. And when they do, it's just pain. It's like just as glycogen is a marathon runner's primary source of energy during a marathon. The gospel is the primary source of energy during the believer's race of faith. And just as a marathon runner's body can only store so much glycogen... So believers, because of the nature of our sanctification, we can only store up so much gospel at a time. And the nature of sanctification requires that we as believers hear and receive the gospel over and over and over throughout our whole lifetime. And so if we are to endure in our race, we have to learn to make regular frequent stops at God's gospel aid stations called preaching of the gospel, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Just as a runner's glycogen level gets depleted over the course of a marathon, your gospel glycogen level from Sunday to Sunday during the week gets depleted. I know it does because mine does. Just to be brutally honest, there are times I don't want to come to church and preach because my gospel glycogen levels are done. And as a result, our spiritual muscles begin to tire and feel heavy. And eventually the race of our faith is painful. It becomes sometimes awful because we're trying to live the Christian life in a depleted state 
Because all we know to do is I've got to train, I've got to train, I've got to train, I've got to do, I've got to do. That's all I hear. There's no rest, no nutrition, and there is no spiritual electrolytes to refuel me to keep running. My spiritual muscles are in a constant state of cramping. Every step is painful. I've hit the wall spiritually, and I find myself saying, I don't want to sing. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to confess my sin. I don't want to do anything. I am done. What does a believer need at that moment? You know what they don't need? They don't need to train. They don't need any more exhortations and moral tips. They don't need any more keys to a secret this or that. They don't need to do something. They need to sit down on their water aid station and receive from God life-giving water and gulp and gulp and gulp. You've got to stop on the way of your race when you're spiritually depleted at God's water aid station called his table of grace. We don't have an altar in this church. We have a table. That's why it has legs and it's clear and I can stand behind it and you can see me because I'm at a table. I am not at an altar. And this is a table of grace and fellowship and joy and peace, blessing, service to you. You need to come to this table and gulp down life-giving water of grace. What is the Lord's table? How can you think about the Lord's Supper? This is the best I could do. It's not meant to be trite, but to put it in your mind. What is it? It is grace for the race. The Lord's Supper is like a gospel sport drink that replaces your depleted spiritual sodium and electrolytes. It is a refueling station, not for you to recover lost merit because you're justified, but it is a refueling station to recover your lost steam. God knows you need your gospel glycogen stores replenished. He knows that you need this to run the race of faith with endurance. He knows that you and I are weak. He knows that our hearts are easily cooled. He knows that our battle with our flesh is often unsuccessful. He knows our propensity to fail and to stumble and to disobey. He knows our tendency toward unbelief and lack of assurance. He knows these things. This is why Michael Horton, writing on the spiritual benefits of the Lord's Supper, he says, to those wearied by a tough week at the home or office, or to those whose consciences never let them forget a sin they commit during the week, the sacrament of Holy Communion is there to communicate Christ and his forgiveness. There is no conscience that cannot be instructed and overcome by this powerful sacrament. 
in the process of sanctification, God is so kind and gracious and patient with us. He wants us to be constantly fueled and refueled and rested and refreshed in the race of faith. And it is through the means of grace he has given to us. Preaching of the gospel. Announcing a silly, sinful man standing up in front of people announcing a message that is the power of God unto salvation. And then taking that announcement and confirming it to your heart is what baptism in the Lord's Supper does. It is grace for the race. You have to have this. And it is through these spiritual aids, these gospel water aid stations that the Holy Spirit gives us rest gives us nutrition, gives us the necessary refueling so that we can obey, read our Bibles, pray, serve, give, go, love, fulfill the law. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God, all the covenants he's ever made in Scripture, find their yes, in him. That is why through him we utter, we respond with our amen to God for his glory. Do you know prayer is your amen to God for his glory because of all the promises in Christ are yes to you. What is it that makes your amen prayer possible? The gospel, because without the gospel, true prayer is impossible. Our prayers are heard, First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. They are heard by and acceptable to the Father because and only because they're mediated through Jesus who prayed first for me. And through Jesus who is now interceding at all times for me. By the Holy Spirit, when I don't know how to pray, Romans 8 is praying for me. Without Christ, our prayers are not heard. We're like the hypocrite and the pagan, Matthew 6, 5 through 8. The gospel not only makes prayer possible, it makes it desirable. You're not coming to a judge who wants to hurt you and condemn you. You're coming to a loving father who is full of mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Hebrews 4. A heart saturated in the gospel will be driven to prayer, not by compulsion, not sheer duty, but by a spirit-wrought desire and delight because you see that you're no longer a slave, but a beloved son and daughter of God who he says, here's my whole estate. Just enjoy it. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, he tells us what creates boldness before God. You know what it is? In him, in whom, in Christ, we have boldness and confident access to him. This is the king of the creation. You can walk right in through Christ. But without the gospel, you'll never desire to draw near to God in prayer until you're assured of your access to him. Where does this assurance 
Where does this boldness come from? Where does this delight and desire come from? It comes from receiving the means of grace, stopping at God's refueling station and receiving again his service to you. We are effectually called into union with Christ by the gospel. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. You have been born again. You have come to life spiritually. You've been resurrected from the dead. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. But it's a specific word that God has given here. Listen. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. What word is Peter talking about? This and this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. Means of grace, preaching, effectual source, the gospel. That is what raises dead people to life. Preaching the gospel through the ministry of the word, the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of faith in Christ. Listen, faith comes from hearing, not seeing. Hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ means the gospel as it's proclaimed. The Holy Spirit brings life. And having received this gift of faith, the Holy Spirit then confirms and assures this same faith and strengthens, nourishes, refuels it through baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because they're visible gospels. They do exactly what the preached word does. But apart from the preached word, they do nothing. The sacraments don't do anything. The Holy Spirit does everything. But he uses his God-ordained means to, when it's attached to the gospel, do what he's promised. And so assurance, spiritual growth, boldness, desire of God is born out of God's actions to us in Christ. It is not born out of our actions to God. It is not. But too often churches not only fail to offer the means of grace as the key aids for spiritual growth, but they often remodel the means of grace into means of gratitude. That is, they turn the gospel into another law. Free gift into duty. Here's an example. Here's how a church on their website defines baptism. Quote, baptism is the outward expression of an inward decision. End quote. And that definition Rather than viewing baptism as a means of grace, baptism is exclusively defined as a means of gratitude. Baptism is not being defined as God's gift to you. Baptism is being defined as your response and duty, your commitment to him. It is all your action, not God's action. Baptism is your personal decision and commitment to obey and follow, to train hard. I'm going to be loyal. Rather than first seeing baptism as God's sign and seal of his promise, his pledge, his devotion, 
his eternal commitment to always act towards you in favor and deliver you from judgment and raise you to life. God intends baptism to be his gift to us, but we have remodeled it and turned it into our duty that is commanded of us. It is simply seen as the believer's testifying of his or her commitment to follow Christ. I'm going to be faithful. And the Lord's Supper is often set forth on top of it as another opportunity for you to come down to the front or receive in the pew your opportunity to renew your love, your commitment, your pledge, your faithfulness to follow Jesus because you're remembering something that happened 2,000 years ago but has no present power in your life right now. And then preaching is set forth, which is to be the primary means of grace, It is reduced to moral exhortation and a set of propositions, keys, tips, principles, how-tos, all of which are intended to help you live better. But in contrast, the Bible sets forth preaching as the primary means of grace through which God has ordained to bring about what the foolish man who is weak and sinful is announcing. Preaching is God's sacramental word. It is ex nihilo words of creation. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, God speaks ex nihilo, which just simply means this, he speaks out of nothing. And when he says, let there be light, light came into existence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6, Paul quotes Genesis 1 verse 3 to picture conversion as a new creation which is born from God's creative speech through the announcement of, guess what? The gospel. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Preaching is not just exhortation, calling to action. It is that, but it's more than that. Preaching is a primary means of grace. Preaching creates. The foolishness of preaching creates. Through the preaching, the Holy Spirit brings into being what is announced by the pastor. Law, death, gospel, life to borrow a title from Ralph Erskine from a famous sermon he preached in the 18th century. The preaching of the gospel is not just about conveying information about Christ. It is conveying Christ. Through preaching, the Holy Spirit is taking that announced word that you hear and creating what you're hearing in your heart. Nowhere is this fundamental truth of preaching as an act of ex nihilo creation more vividly portrayed than in Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. I love Chris Tomlin's song that sings about this. When Lecrae is it, he raps it. It's one of my favorite songs. Much more biblical than a lot of the old hymns that I grew up singing in revivalistic traditions. 
So I want you to listen to how God uses preaching to actually bring about what is being preached. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ezekiel 37. Listen to what God commands him to do. Listen to what he does. And then watch what God does through what he does. Ezekiel 37, beginning verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. That's a good response. (laughs) Not quite sure, but you know. (laughs) So look at verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy, preach the means of grace. Do you know how stupid and foolish it looks for a person to preach at bones? That's not exciting. That's not where the action is. Give me something exciting at church. Don't give me all that preaching stuff. We've had that. We've tried that. It doesn't work. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Something dead, hear. You're dead, hear. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these dry, dead bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, preached as I was commanded. And as I was faithfully fulfilling the means of grace ordained and commanded by me from God himself, there was a noise a rattling sound, and the bones came together. Here's Lecrae, bone to bone, flesh to flesh, wrap it, yes. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, keep preaching. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Boy, when he says it, it happens. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, I preached as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Preaching creates what is announced. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, that the gospel is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to have a church filled with the Holy Spirit? Oh, I do. Oh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. But when preaching is viewed primarily as a moral exhortation where believers are given endless how-tos sold to them as being practical and relevant for their daily life, the whole emphasis falls on getting believers in the church 
to train like marathon runners and just do something. Preaching how to live better. Baptism, commit. Lord's Supper, recommit. Recommit. Get your act together. Recommit. Rededicate. Come to the altar. Get your life together. Be radical for Jesus. Preaching, baptism, and the Lord's Supper are not even thought as the means of grace by which the Holy Spirit comes and brings about and confirms and assures my relationship with the living God. And so preaching, baptism, and the Lord's Supper are just simply viewed as nothing more than training for marathons as opposed to water aid stations for depleted runners who are spiritually exhausted and have hit the wall and said, I can't keep up the pace. I'm done. We at Paramount Church have a passion to make the gospel paramount in all things for the sinner's joy and the Savior's glory. It is my gospel water aid station where I get rest where I get nourishment, where I get gospel sodium sport drink electrolyte refueling so I can live. That's what we want for you. Thanks, John. That's a message called Are the Means of Grace Central in the Church? Part 2. More from John Fonville coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.